I will say, this is the fourth Christian school that I've taught at. This is a pretty informed, at least upper high school, this is a pretty informed group. Yes, they are. I was actually going to say earlier when you said we want to inspire that passion or interest in these things. I think our biggest challenge here is fostering a healthy sense of passion and interest. We'd like to welcome everybody to our next episode of the Falcon Fast Lane. We are here in Studio Z with Miss Zelinsky and uh, I'm Pastor Maven. Miss Z, how are you doing today? It's been a day. Lots of conversations with our kids. A lot of I'll conversations. We're looking out the windows in our studio here and it is sunny. I know. You don't even know this. It was 46 <laughs> degrees. I just came in from outside. Stop it. Everything is melting. <laughs> I sent my brother a There's hope. my brother who lives just outside of Birmingham, Alabama, a, a picture, and I said, "Sunny, forty six. He says it's warmer than it is down here. It's thirty seven degrees in Birmingham right now." Ah, uh, what are yeah. we doing inside? I know, right? <laughs> you can't even see the windows. You have your back to the windows. I do. I get prime seating. <laughs> it's because I'm old. <laughs> hey, we wanted to do an episode today on uh, citizenry, and when we first started brainstorming this project, it was prior to everything that has happened in the past week or so. <laughs> so there has been so much that has happened. So today is January the 12th, 2021. And 13th, actually. Today is the 13th? I know. <sighs> Time I've been is like, going I'm so, I'm so off, just off. So much has happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we originally were planning on doing this, we had no idea what current events we're going to render. Mm-mm. So we wanted to start talking about the, a recap of the Georgia runoff, but that seems like eons ago. <laughs> we were just talking about how I didn't even have time to process it. The next day were the riots. Oh. I mean, I, I, and now we're in an impeachment trial yeah. again. Crazy. Mm-hmm. It just absolutely crazy. So we'll just buzz over this because, like you say, we haven't even really had time to process this. Mm-hmm. So Georgia runoff happened on the 5th. And uh, it was a runoff election between uh, two hotly contested Senate seats. And they were pivotal because based on the outcome of that was going to swing the balance in the Senate. Mm -hmm. And as things would have it, what was the uh, what were the net results? We lost both of those seats. Republicans lost Mm -hmm. both of those seats in uh, two actually very close uh, elections as far as numbers go. And as you look at it again, I mean, it was a, it was a microcosm of the overall election this year. People had concerns over the Dominion software that was used. Those machines were used again, uh, again at 11 o'clock, not all the counting was done. Some of the larger counties went home and say, Hey, we'll see you at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. And the counting still wasn't done. So it was a microcosm of, uh, of what was, uh, just a few months earlier in November. And a lot of people are, um, they're still pretty up in arms. As a matter of fact, I just heard today that one of the counties, uh, which David Perdue actually won, David Perdue was one of the Republican candidates, they actually did a recount uh, just to reestablish some trust within their electorate there. Mm. And it the results didn't change, but they did a recount. They just validated that recount again. And uh, I heard the clerk was talking, and she said she just wanted to do it to reestablish some trust because there's not a lot of that out there right now. No, there's not. People are... Um, I'm actually fearful for that for 2022. Maybe we can talk about that in a little while. Then, of course, after that, we had uh, <laughs> just prior to the electoral count certification, we had some we had some interesting things happen in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. What took place? Well, uh, we had a speech given by President Trump 
that a lot of people are divided over, wondering if he actually incited the riots that took place in the Capitol building or not. Um, and the result of that were a bunch of people who stormed the Capitol building, uh, turned violent, uh, right in the middle of some really good debates happening on the floor. Unfortunately, we couldn't finish those. After the riots occurred, they locked down the Capitol building and then quickly proceeded with the vote count after they cleared everybody out. But we lost that ability to see the debate, the conversation happen. Well, I think not only did we lose as, as uh, kind of onlookers looking at that, mm -hmm. I think that there was, I don't think I know based on the results of that, there were some people who, who lost their nerve who were perhaps going to challenge Absolutely. the count. And uh, that kind of ties into that Georgia election runoff when you had Leffler. Because she was one of them that changed her yes. vote. Mm -hmm. So who knows what the outcome you know would have been. Uh, but the... The reality was it was some pretty horrific things that took place. Um, now five people have lost their lives as a result of that. Uh, hundreds of arrests have been made. And the Department of Justice is not playing around with some of the charges that they're going to slap on some of these people. Uh, sedition, which carries a maximum jail time of 20 years if fully convicted. So I know that uh, I know there's a lot of emotion that has surrounded this election, mm -hmm. and um, I guess the jury is still out figuratively and literally on, you know, who who the people actually were that went in and did all of this shenanigans. I mean, there was hundreds of thousands of people that didn't do that, but as is the case most of the time, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Yes. So it's these hundreds of people you know, that are getting all this press and not the perhaps hundreds of thousands who are like, yeah, we're just going to go home because that's what President Trump said to do. You know, he came on Twitter before his account was <laughs> uh, locked out for 12 hours and now permanently. Uh, so he came out and, and kind of advocated. He didn't mince his words about that either, you know, about, hey, I, I feel your pain, but you need to go home now and you need to do it peacefully. But that seems to uh, be ancient history to a number of people uh, now, too. So we've got so many implications, Miss Z. So as educators, this uh, you and I are, uh, I, dare I say, passionate about this? I mean, oh, just a little. <laughs> we're, we're passionate personally, but then we want to pass that passion on to our students mm -hmm. because this is important that they are engaged, which is why we wanted to do this episode anyways and the subject matter of this episode. And there's, there's always implications, right? There's always outcomes, some intended, some unintended. So we wanted to talk a little bit about some of those uh, potential implications. So again, so much of this has changed since we were, you know, kind of putting this, this episode together. But so we want to talk about um, what a Democrat, excuse me, a Democrat, Crat-controlled executive branch is now going to look like. So, of course, we have the three branches of government, executive being one of them. W what are some of the potential implications now of what almost is sure to be a democratically controlled executive branch? We have some precedents. We could look back into 2008 when the House, Senate, and President were all Democrat. And I think the two notable things that came from that were, uh, were Obamacare, Common Core, both of those got passed pretty quickly, and they haven't left our system, kind of in some ways, I guess, mm -hmm. Obamacare. But those were significant changes in our way of life. That is what you'll see again, quick changes. Obviously, I mean, it's been a week, and how many things have happened. And 
Biden's not even in office yet. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> I mean, and there's already talks about what they're going to do in the first 100 days. And we're already hearing basically a re-rollout of Obamacare. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. good, bad, or indifferent, that is a lightning fast, significant change from our current status uh, right. as far as that law goes and, and some of the changes that the current administration has made to that. What else could be in store for us uh, with regard to the executive branch being controlled by? They've already showed party. their hand here with the censorship. I mean, when we wrote these notes, we didn't even include that in here no. because I mean, it this happened so fast. I know. So talk to us about the censorship. What, what has happened? Yes. Yeah, so um, most of you probably have heard this, but you know, you have a lot of these social media outlets who have the leaders of those companies have taken control and said anything that uh, speaks of, uh, you know, perhaps fraudulent votes or anything to do with Trump at all. We need to shut that down. Trump's major access, of course, Twitter has been shut down. Then you had um, a substitute company, Parler, that many people have used. But Parler was shut down because they used Amazon Web Service Providers. I guess I just heard this too, that MeWe, the other Facebook provider, also uses Amazon Web Services. Interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if you see pushback on that. Yeah. So both, just to, to clarify, both Parler and MeWe would be considered, they're, I believe that they're being marketed as a free speech alternative right. to perhaps Twitter and Facebook. That's right. Yep. And there's other options out there, but even those are getting targeted. I know that... Um, a, Places where you might buy merchandise, they've shut that down. Stripe won't let you use their services to swipe credit cards. For anything that's related to, because that was the service that was on the the Trump website. That's right. YouTube, you may not have heard this because it just happened a couple of hours ago. YouTube has suspended his channel. That's right. I did just hear that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, very interesting. And boy, that could be a whole other episode too. Uh, So these tech giants are, they enjoy the protections of uh, Section 230, mm-hmm. uh, which takes them out of being a publisher, and now they're a platform. So nobody's allowed to come after them uh, as far as any type of libel suit. Mm-hmm. So that has set them up since 1996 to be very powerful and almost literally untouchable. Mm-hmm. So Dan Bongino, who was a commentator, uh, former Secret Service agent, former New York City detective, uh, is an investor in Parler. And he was talking about the implications of this. And he was touting that, okay, this is high profile right now for President Trump, but the, the entirety of Parler has been taken down. Mm-hmm. So anybody who had a page on that is, is gone. And they've already started a lawsuit, but it is a literal David and Goliath. So you look at Amazon, whose owner is the second richest person in the world. Mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos worth $184 billion one person worth $184 billion. And that company, and, and and we were talking about this this morning in my Bible class, like everybody's up in arms about it, but like we feed that company. That's right. And out of convenience, we and that's what we all want. We want convenience. We want to show up and, and have what we ordered the day before because we have Prime and we want to see it at our doorsteps. And this is what's making these companies so fabulously big. Mm-hmm. And it, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of implications with regard to our freedom. Absolutely. You know, that these companies who are not accountable to almost anything, you know, at this point. 
So uh, definitely uh, some of those implications with regard to the executive branch, uh, executive branch uh, with regard to censorship. Uh, anything else that you can think of just off the top of your head that would be major implications? I know a big one being talked about right now is Second Amendment rights. Mm. Uh, Biden does not like the NRA. He wants to shut mm-hmm. them down. Mm-hmm. High taxes on ammo mm-hmm. make it difficult mm-hmm. to purchase. I, you could go through probably every amendment in our <laughs> Constitution, yeah. and they want to directly attack it. Yeah. With regard to the Second Amendment, I happened to be at uh, Peacemakers, which is an indoor range locally here yesterday. It was packed, Miss C. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, you've been in the, you've been in there, the showroom. There was probably 50 people. So I mean, it's there's four lines, four people deep. They, they've got ammo up in the counter. There's ammo restrictions. You can only buy one box of ammo per day, and the, people just come in. They buy a box of ammo, then they come back the next day because there's an ammo shortage right now because people are worried about some of the policy changes that are going to take place. You mentioned going through each amendment, and this one is very interesting. The 25th Amendment has been talked about a lot lately. And now and, the 14th. Well, I mean, who cares about the 14th or the 4th <laughs> Amendment for that, for that as far Long as that goes? their purposes. Right. So the 25th Amendment, just in a nutshell, okay, tell us a little bit about the 25th Amendment and why people are touting that right now, and then I want to explore another option with you. Yeah, so uh, the 25th Amendment allows for removal of anybody really in office who commits treasonous acts against the country. And again, back to what we said earlier with the speech that he gave, they're all focusing on that, that that speech Trump gave right before the riots, actually while riots were happening, Mm -hmm. that that is treasonous activity, Mm -hmm. fomenting a um, opposition towards the government. And there's also another caveat in the 25th Amendment with regard to uh, capabilities. Mm-hmm. So if the president becomes in- incompatible, excuse me, incapable uh, of not fulfilling his duties, whether that be mental or physical, uh, that can initiate the 25th Amendment, which is what a lot of people have been doing. So the the his cabinet members need to sign this, and that need that process needs to be initiated by the vice president. So people are pressuring Vice President Pence, people being the leadership in the Democratic Party right now, and actually quite a number of of, uh, people in the Republican Party, too. Mm -hmm. And they want this 25th Amendment to be enacted. So basically, the message has been, you do the 25th Amendment, or we're going to impeach. And we see what road they're going down right now. What possible implications could you see about them holding the 25th Amendment out so loosely right now with President Trump and, and the incoming administration? What are some possible implications of that? Well, I, I actually I think about Trump's speech that he just gave yesterday down at the border, and he talks about how I In will El Paso, not Texas. That's right. Uh-huh. Or was it El, or uh, Am, the Alamo? Alamo. Is it Alamo. Yep. City. Yeah. Right. Yep. By the wall. Mm-hmm. And he said, "I'm. I don't need to worry about the 25th Amendment being imposed on me. Biden does." That got me thinking. A lot. What does he know? What, where is that going to go? You're setting a precedence here. What is, what do we all know? What do we all know? Yes. There's so much. President-elect Biden ran his campaign from his basement. <laughs> I mean, that's not, <laughs> yeah. like, he did. He, mm-hmm. His last rally that he had, Miss C, you saw it. There was 14 cars there mm-hmm. because he didn't want to get, he wanted to be socially distanced. We were seeing rallies from President Trump that had tens of thousands of people in the venue and then tens of thousands of people still waiting to get in. Sure. And then this speech that he gave last week, I mean, there's nobody's talking about the numbers that were there. Hundreds of thousands of people. Right. And nobody wants to talk about that. So I thought it was very interesting. I mean, he's 
you know, a lot of people may not like President Trump with his tweets and, and all of that, but you've got to give it up to the guy for being strategic. So for him to say, I don't have anything to worry about the 25th Amendment, which if you read between the lines, he's pretty mentally sound. But if you look at it and you pay attention with any discernment whatsoever, there's there's some legitimate issues with President-elect Biden. Certainly. And, uh, you know, basically President Trump said, be careful what you wish for. Mm-hmm. So that's the executive branch. What are some uh, what are some potential uh, implications of a democratically controlled Senate right now? Which currently it's a tie, correct? Yes. 50-50, which means the president of the Senate would have to break any tie. And who serves as president of the Senate? The vice president. The vice president. So vice president-elect Kamala Harris, who's not a conservative, would be breaking any ties, correct? That's right. So what are some implications for that? Oh, man. There, you'll have to recall to memory some of the things that are on the table right now, but there have been a lot of things that have come down to that one vote, and now it's going to be an easy swing Absolutely. for the Senate to take that. Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, so you're looking at things like statehood for Puerto Rico. Mm, that's, right. being, that's being touted. You're looking at things like statehood for Washington, D.C., that that almost assuredly are four senators for the Democrat uh, the, the the Democrat side. That's right? right. So they're also talking about packing the courts, packing the courts. So mm-hmm. that's going to involve Senate confirmation, right? So there could be implications as far as that goes. And Miss C, how long are how long are Supreme Court justices tenures for? Their lifetime. Those are lifetime, <laughs> oh. right? And there's justices who are in their 80s now who are already, you know, talking about retiring um, because they're more comfortable with the incoming administration than the outgoing administration, which was uh, Justice Ginsburg's deal. She didn't she wanted to hold on as long as she could. And I mean, who can blame her for that? She had an orientation and a, a political orientation, that is, and she wanted to. She, she, she didn't want to let people down with regard to that. So I think we're seeing a lot of politi- uh, politicization uh, with the judicial branch. Uh, Absolutely. Un- unfortunately. So that's on the Senate side. How about the House side? I don't know. Again, we're looking at a democratically controlled House. Yes, right, right. So, uh, I mean, we're seeing something today with, well, this week, uh, Speaker Pelosi, who got her speakership back, Barely, <laughs> barely got her speakership back. She gave a lot away for that. Uh, specifically, uh, she gave two key positions to the squad members. Right. Uh, Rashid Tlaib and uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And they, uh, I believe that they both are on the Appropriations Committee now. I believe they both have. So that's, that's purse strings. That's huge. Right? Absolutely. So uh, a lot of these things, a lot of these notable names... Uh, and these implications, which is incumbent upon us to point out to the students. I will say, this is the fourth Christian school that I've taught at. This is a pretty informed, at least upper high school, this is a pretty informed group. Yes, they are. I was actually going to say earlier when you said we want to inspire that passion or interest in these things. I think our biggest challenge here is fostering a healthy sense of passion and interest because our students do care. And what I've seen here is in what is different from other schools that I've, that I've taught at is in other schools, I hear a parroting. Mm. So their parents have one pretty passionately held view and then they parrot what their parents say. 
I see that a little bit here, but I also see a lot of independent thinking here because of research that they've done. However, I will say that a lot of the research that they do is contingent on social media, right? which definitely has a leaning, and it's not to the right. So As we see with censorship. <laughs> as we see with censorship. And part of our responsibility to them, as you said, is just to kind of steer them you know, which, you know, one way or another, uh, I try not to give a, and it's difficult, but I, I try not to give like my personal opinion. Uh, I just, I love playing devil's advocate and I know that you do this too. Like we both have a Socratic flavor in our, in our teaching style. That's interesting. What do you think? You know, and then we kind of turn it back on to them, which I think fosters, you know, the learning process so much better, especially with regard to a lot of the stuff that we, you know, talk about, which may or may not be in our lesson plans. I mean, golly, our current events have obliterated lesson plans this year, haven't they? I mean, for 2021 already, we're like, what's a lesson plan? They're like, when you got to talk about what's going on in the news. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have civics, you know, that comes under your purview. I have two classes. <laughs> One's called Engaging Our Culture, and the other is called Contemporary Societal Issues. Are you kidding me? We're in the first 13 days of January, and I could close out the school year for what's happened, <laughs> you know, as far as stuff, you know, to talk about. So we're going to have to kind of put a governor on that, too. Uh, and the next issue we want to talk about was, we've already actually talked about it, a little bit of the recap of uh, kind of the, the, the protest in Washington, D.C. I think originally, what would you guess would be the original intent of people gathering there? When justice isn't served and you feel like your voice isn't being heard, you go to the people's house. The world is watching, frankly, the entire world's watching this showdown go down. And so they want to be heard, to be seen. I think that was the intent. And like you said earlier, you you could debate who actually led those people into the Capitol building. Mm-hmm. But regardless, 100,000 people, however many show up on that Capitol lawn, most of them with that intent of saying, we care, mm-hmm. this matters. Mm-hmm. If justice isn't served, mm-hmm. how are we going to go back to our freedoms, the things that we believe in? Mm-hmm. So I think that's the intent. And I'm not surprised by what actually resulted Mm. uh, because, and this is probably going to play into your next question here, but you know, how, how do you get to this point Mm. and can you turn away from it? Mm -hmm. Can we go a different direction? Mm -hmm. Uh, As we've, as we've talked about this, I, I have echoing in my ears uh, a previous guest that we had said that they would take America on its worst day. Mm. And, I think that we have to keep that out in front of our students, even even at our worst. And I'm I'm not prepared to say that last week was our worst. A week, you know, from today, a week ago today, I'm not prepared to say that was our worst. I mean, we've overcome some significant things as a country, not the least of which was our independence. Right? We've overcome a civil war, one of the bloodiest that we've ever had. We've overcome some horrific things like slavery. Uh, Even though this last summer and all of the craziness that happened this last summer didn't seem to appreciate the history from which we've come from. 
Yeah, just, I mean, the riots were last week. That was a microcosm of our entire history. There have always been small pockets of knuckleheads. But I think overall, this is a country that still is pretty special. This is a country full of people who I think by and large appreciate the freedoms that we have. And I know that we have to keep that out in front of our students to keep reminding them. Okay, things are dark now, but... The media is going to keep saying we're divided, we're divided. You say that a million times over, you start to believe it. And you see what happened last Wednesday, you say, oh, that only confirms this supposed mm. truth. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced we're as divided as they say we are. Mm-hmm. I think there is still a bedrock of those virtues, freedom, courage, truth. Mm-hmm. And, and you know that because look at the demographics of those who voted for President Trump in this last election. Mm-hmm. He had people from all walks of life, all backgrounds and heritages who voted for him. Yeah. But for that same goal, we mm-hmm. still care about our freedoms. Yeah. It's so interesting to me, you know, socialism seems to be a direction that a lot of people want to go. I know that you and I get frustrated when we see the videos out there, you know, the -the on-the-spot interviews on the streets and uh, students that maybe are college age and the questions would be asked, like, who's our vice president? You know, and people can't, they they can't come up with a name, Mm -hmm. you know, and it, it drives us insane. Because what that is, is that's an electorate, and all these people are voting age. That's what's even more scary. This is an electorate who get their election information from 10, 20, 30-second sound bites, which, uh, and that's, they're, they're, a, they're an exponentially growing segment of our population. And so how do we get to where we are? How have we gotten to where we are right now as a country, do you think? Well, your question that so many don't know who the vice president is or that many want socialism, I can only assume you haven't studied history. Mm. You haven't looked into the stories of the past or not thinking strategically about the future. Part of that comes from education. In my opinion, that's one of the greatest downfalls of our society today is a failing educational system. And let me, I want to stop you right there. Mm-hmm. I hope I hope. You can keep your train of thought. I had an opportunity to talk to Senator Alana Tice this past mm-hmm. summer. And, you know, I was just kind of getting her perspective as a Michigan legislature. Like, man, how is it going? Like, this is all craziness. And we got into education. I said, yeah, you know, last 25, 50 years. And she interrupted me. She goes, oh, no, Chris. She goes, it's the last 100 years. Mm-hmm. 100 years of education system and the intent to get us to where we are now. We just had a student visit the school yesterday, just yesterday, and they're going to they're gonna start at the new semester, which is in a couple of weeks. And I was chatting with this student and he said, how'd you hear about us? You know, uh, what are you looking forward to? And this is what this student said. They go to a local public high school and they said, I'm looking forward to having the freedom to think for myself. Mm. Mrs. E, this is a freshman in high school. And I didn't pursue that right away. But I got some backstory, and the backstory is that three of the student's teachers are passionate about their viewpoint, and their viewpoint is different than most certainly what you and I would hold to. And I don't have a problem with different viewpoints, but these teachers, according to this student, who, I mean, I didn't have an axe to grind, it didn't sound like they just wanted out of that environment. 
they were not allowed to say that that viewpoint was wrong. So we have an education system starting at goodness knows where, it seems like it's getting younger and younger, where you're not allowed to disagree. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to debate ideas. And, uh, you know, we, talk, we jokingly talked about lesson plans, but I think making good, healthy debate part of our lesson plans and having the flexibility to say, okay, why do you disagree with me? Like, I'm not going to let you get away with just saying that I'm stupid or that's a stupid idea. Tell me why. Let's talk about this. Can you own that? Because they're going to have to own it once they get out of the protective walls of Livingston Christian Schools, aren't they? That's right. I mean, and, you know, the, the, the percentages are changing with students that are going on to college. Some of them are going to go on to the workforce. Some of them are going to the military. But all of them are going to have an opportunity to do two things, to influence and be influenced. And we'll get into what, what we want to train them for. But to your point... Yes, ed, I think the education system has got us to, at, at least as a factor, to have gotten us where we are today. Yes. Other thoughts on that? Well, I think there's something before that even that allowed the education system to fail, and I think that also goes back to the families. Mm. I mean, we <laughs> there's a lot of parents today who do, do not know what their students are learning. Most of them, many of them, don't care. Mm. And they're the ones paying money. For their students to attend, even a public school, it's out of your taxes. So exactly. you're you're the one paying money for your kid's education. Do you care? Are you invested? Mm. Do you talk about what they're learning? Are they getting the worldview they need? And that's where the next part comes in, are the churches. Oh my goodness, yes. Three parts of the stool. I remember Mr. Nass talking about that when I was in school. Yeah. You need those three parts of that stool. You know, a lot of people don't realize this, but uh, from K through 12, Students have 15,000 hours of influence Wow! from the education system, whatever their education system is. Now, I mean, you and I both aren't naive enough to think that every person is going to give an accurate and biblical worldview. They might say that it's Christian, but it may have some holes in it, theologically speaking. So I'm not going to sit here and say that all Christian education, every Christian school is going to give them a stellar worldview, but 15,000 hours, that's a lot of influence. That's a lot of influence that educators have. And to your point and comment about, do you know who's teaching your kids and what they're teaching? Do you align yourself with that? I mean, at the end of the day, if you can say yes and yes, my hat's off to you. My hat's off to you. You know, I understand that not everybody can uh, make the investment that and this. It's an investment to have people in Christian education. There's a cost associated with that. But it seems to me that it's interesting that those same people um, are investing in other areas. Maybe they have two homes. Maybe they have boats. You know, these things aren't inherently wrong. But what's important? And to your point about uh, the education. It, it's important, like vitally. It is important. So that's kind of a narrow swath education. What specifically do you think has been taught about history and civics? Or maybe conversely, what hasn't been taught about history and civics to get us to this point? I had access to a, uh, a common core history book uh, about eight years ago or so. And just to piggyback off of what 
Lana Tice had said. I mean, mm-hmm. this is definitely a century old thing. I mean, you, we got rid of the Bible and prayer in 1962, 1963, mm-hmm. Roe v. Wade 10 years later, it's mm-hmm. passed redefining marriage in 2015. I mean, it has been a, a slow, in some ways fast, but slow progression. Mm-hmm. Steady. And very steady. steady. Slow. Yeah, very much so. And so Common Core is just obviously a natural result of that. And I remember in that history book, they were talking about Ben Franklin. They had a little bio on him. It was a tiny paragraph, you know, a couple of the things he had done and accomplished with no explanation about what those things he had done would affect America, how Mm. it would affect America. Mm -hmm. But next to it, they had an article on a Latino woman who was single, had three kids, and she had to make her own tortilla shells for her kids. And the paragraph was a couple pages long about you can be like her, you can do what she did. Mm. That historian, if you will, is not wrong, but to, uh, to compare that to Ben Franklin and not applaud him for the things that he accomplished for our country, mm-hmm. but to elevate the Latino woman. And mm-hmm. I'm not opposed to that. Sure. But you can see the worldview through mm. which those two paragraphs are set side by side. Absolutely. We don't talk about the kind of blood that was spilled or the virtues that started our country. We forget those stories. We don't teach through moral imagination anymore. Mm. We give a bunch of facts, a bunch of dates, spit it out for a test, forget it the next day. Mm-hmm. And like you said earlier, we don't have those conversations. What mm-hmm. could have been done better? Hmm. What do we fail at mm-hmm. as a country? Sure. Ben Franklin, sure, he did a lot of great things, but he's also human. Right. And if we idolize him as some model of superiority we can never achieve, then no kid's going to want to try. Mm-hmm. But if we can bring him back to our level and say, here's who Brent Franklin was, here's who George Washington was, mm-hmm. their successes and their failures. Mm-hmm. Now, what are you going to do about it? How mm-hmm. do you carry that mantle? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, we're even questioning when our country was founded now. It wasn't founded in 1619? Oh, I know. <laughs> That's Just heard an interview today right. with the lead author of that project, the 1619 Project, Pulitzer, Wise, uh, Pulitzer Prize winning, by the way. And this person was advocating in a discussion that Trump supporters needed to be deprogrammed. Their words, exactly. Deprogrammed. Deprogrammed. Need to be sent to deprogramming camps. Sounds like that Veritas video that just came out today about the any Trump supporter needs to be re-educated, sent well, to other camps. Well, and they're talking about, you know, this list going around. Uh, Forbes magazine just yesterday released an article that said that if you uh, if you voted against the vote uh, confirmation, electoral vote confirmation, we've got your name. Any organization that you affiliate with, we will assume that they are a lying organization since you are a liar. What? Hmm. There's already major banks that are saying that they're pulling support. So any of these people who want to solicit these banks for any number of things that they are affiliated with, say a foundation, because of their affiliation with a differing ideology, they're blacklisted now. They're blacklisted now. Mm-hmm. So that is a, that's a great segue into uh, our next area that we want to talk about there. Um, how, how is our understanding of tolerance changed over the years tolerance equals acceptance today Mm -hmm. that's what we hear 
maybe not so many words, but that's sure. essentially what not only accept, but partake in. It was one thing to say, okay, I accept, you know, homosexual marriages. It became a federal law, a federal. So I guess I can accept it, but now it's not just enough to sit there and say, that's fine. You must also approve and support and promote mm. where my understanding of tolerance. And I believe the actual definition is to put up with. Mm. So being able to sit in that classroom with a teacher you may not agree with or a student you're not in uniformity with, but you're able to hear those thoughts, process them, articulately debate them, that's no longer the case. You fall in line, you agree, or you get out, or we demonetize you, or we cancel you, we delete you. You know, I just see, I see the world around us, and it's happening in real time. And, you know, you... Lately, this past week, if I've heard this word once, I've heard it a hundred times, dystopia. And dystopian, you know, if I, so you have movies like the Divergent series or even the Hunger Games, fiction. My kids are reading 1984 right now. I mean, how many times have we heard in this past week Orwellian? Because of that. So, you know, were, were, were these people prophetic? I mean, I hope not. But the reality of current issues seems to be that they were kind of prophetic. They were, and they had time to think. They looked at society, they looked at the current events, the, the trends, and they said, this is where it's going to go. If we continue down this way, that's what I want my kids to be able to do, is sit here and go, if you continue on this path, this is what you can expect. Well, and what, I mean, at, at the you boil it down to the very basic, what is that called? That's called critical thinking. Right. We want our students to be critical thinkers. So those students who are listening to this and they're like, oh, Mr. You know what I'm talking about, Mr. Maybe you know what you're talking about. Well, we do. I had this, I had to smack one of my kids the other day verbally. And he, he said, well, this is what's going on. I said, well, that's what's going on from you as a 17-year-old. I said, let me give you a 50-year-old's perspective. And it was energized, but it was still good because that student stopped and, and gave consideration to that. You want to know why? Because there's value in that type of discussion. There's value in that type of debate. And I love the fact that this is an environment where that can take place. And, you know, to your comment about just fall in line, I, this is not a school that has 100% agreement in all of our classrooms as far as students go, right? Thank goodness. Absolutely, thank goodness. So we have students that, and none of them are old enough to vote yet, but I keep reminding them that hey, you guys right here, you're, you're going to be eligible to vote in 2022, so you don't think this stuff matters now? We got midterm elections coming up. What are you guys going to do then? And I see them kind of glassy look, and then I see them kind of counting on their fingers. They're like, you're right, I can vote. I guess I do need to start paying attention. So, uh, you know, we want them to be informed. We want them to think critically, which means that they need to gather information, information from a variety of sources, all right? Wikipedia for its convenience is not always going to provide the most in-depth view on something. Now, unfortunately, again, out of convenience, that's a go-to for a lot of people. But I hope that by example and by requirement that they are now looking, you know, in other areas. And I happen to think that they are. I happen to think that they are. What is, what is your sense of how serious our students take current events? The critical thinking aspect, I think, is something we could all be working on because we're so used to the 30-second soundbite, yep. the quick 
two minute read, yep. swipe, 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 mm-hmm. that we don't stop over a piece of news and process how did this happen and where is it going to go from here? Mm. That ADD thinking, I think, is so dangerous mm. if we want to have any progress. Mm-hmm. We tend to be in our little padded cells. We have our screens in front of us, mm-hmm. our coffee, our food, all the necessities we want. Mm-hmm. I think that distance ourse- distances ourselves from reality. And for the first time with the censorship, we're finally taking it a little bit seriously. Well, yeah, because that's starting to touch on a world that they have contact with. That's right. Social media. That's right. Um, do you think that we here at Livingston Christian live in an echo chamber? I think that's, yes, I think there very could much be, so. There could be some danger in that too, do mm-hmm. you think? Yes. I mean, you said earlier, uh, a 50-year-old is going to have a bit of a different perspective than a 17-year-old. But the thing that makes the 50-year-old and the 17-year-old on somewhat equal playing field is the lens through which you're looking at hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. The way that echo chamber diminishes in some ways is if you are using the lens of truth to view the things of this world. Mm. I don't know that we're all doing that all the time. Mm -hmm. It's so hard. We're swirling in a hurricane of just lies and half truths and what's real and what's not. I don't know. Well, even the volume of information that we get giving any number of those viewpoints, like we are inundated. Yeah. All of the time. The entire world's conversation is in our back pocket no every day. Jo- no joke. And it can be almost real time. I had that same student who I, who I you know, offered my 50-year-old perspective from. We were talking about Reddit. And this student said, you can find anything that you want to on Reddit. I'm like, that is no joke. I mean, there is a, there is a Reddit for everything. Yeah. <laughs> for everything. And I'm not a, like, I'm not a huge user of Reddit. I don't even know that I could necessarily kind of worm my way into that. But you know what? It is our students' native language, isn't it? Yes, it is. These platforms are their native language. And I think as educators, you're a bit younger than I am. We've got to be careful about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So, and I don't want to do that because then we would just, we would be, we would be guilty of the same censorship that, that other people are doing right now. I would much rather, and I know that we've had enough conversations to know that this is a passion of yours too, I would much rather equip these students, our students, to know how to use those things. That's right. And part of that is helping them to establish a Christian biblical worldview. And I think anymore, Miss Z, I think we have to add the word historical. Yes. Historical biblical Christian worldview. I mean, that's a lot of words. But and somewhat redundant, only because... That Bible is history. If we see it that way and know that these things are actually real, they're not just some fictional account. Yes. I just heard some statistics on people who walk away from the faith and they've kind of walked it back, this organization that did this survey, and they walked it back to Sunday school. So we hear that word Sunday school, two words, and it is for predominantly elementary children, right? So we, we graduate from elementary school, then we get into youth group as a junior high or whatever. But people were given Bible stories. And there's one organization that is passionate about retraining people to use the word biblical accounts versus Bible stories. 
That's amazing how just that little semantic difference can change your perspective. One word. Uh Uh-huh. And what it does is it legitimizes those truths and takes it from nonfiction, I'm sorry, from fiction to nonfiction. And that could be the all that it would take, you know, for us to hold on to these amazing things that we have learned that have helped to form us, you know, over the years. But if we equate the flood with the tooth fairy, you can see where, you can see where both of those crumble. That's right. So to have that solid historical biblical worldview that we continue to build into, that we continue to build into, and it is I'm it's not easy to help create that passion within these students because it takes hard work. That yes, doesn't does. just happen. You have to be intentional about that. But I I think I learn more from these students when I listen. Me too. And, you know, I hear them talking about whatever game, you know, is hot, you know, right now. And I hear them talk about all the nuances of those games. And I just laugh because I'm like, dude, you spent hours learning how to do that. If you would just get, you know, if you would give a tithe of that time, if you give 10% of that time to any number of subjects, like the buzzword right now in education is mastery, you, you would have mastery over those topics. What would it look like for us to have students who at least have a desire for mastery over history and physics? I've heard the analogy, I think this comes from You Are What You Love, one of my favorite books. And in that book, it says, if you're going to convince a person to build a boat, you can't start by saying, you're going to need this much lumber, this amount of hours of man work. You're getting up at 4 a.m. every day, working till 8 p.m. It's going to take you a year because you want to build a boat especially for a student, that's going to be like, well, I don't, I don't want to do that. Right. But if you can excite their vision mm. and say, have you ever been on the waves? Have you ever seen the stars from a boat at night? Have you ever gone fishing? You mm. want that, don't you? Mm. Well, here's what it's going to take to get there, but it's worth it. Keep your eyes on that vision. Obviously, they want to spend hours playing a game when the outcome is some reward. Sure. That's what they're looking for. Mm. And it becomes fun in the process because you know what you're working towards. Mm. The hard work that you said earlier that's beholden on us as educators Mm -hmm. is to excite their vision of a place that's not here on earth, Mm. of a person that you can't maybe see physically. You can Mm -hmm. see the results of what he's done. Right. To bring the awesomeness of God to our human senses Mm -hmm. in any way we can possibly do that, then perhaps, okay, maybe I'll pull out that Bible. Mm. Maybe I will listen in church, Mm -hmm. take some interest in these things. Mm -hmm. Another perfect segue. How then do we give that vision of what a productive citizen is in the United States? And maybe we need to take a half a step back and maybe define that, what is a productive citizen, and then answer the question, how do we create that hunger and vision for what that would be? Sure. Well, I think the biggest thing we need to model is everything we say needs to be done in action. We do a lot of talk in our Socratic circles. Mm -hmm. We give a lot of opinions, but do we live those things out? Mm. 
So what does that look like as a model citizen? I think one of the things is what you do in public life should be modeled in your personal life. Mm. That's integrity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Understanding your responsibilities as a citizen of America, that's contributing to society in a healthy way. Uh, Taking interest in who represents you, just as parents should take interest in their kids' education. Students should care about who represents them. caring about education, Mm. taking the time to learn and apply, Mm. not just know, but to actually do. That's where wisdom comes in. Sure. And those before them have to model that daily. That's exhausting as a teacher and as a parent, as a leader. Yeah. But you cannot expect that the next generation who's watching intently what you say and do, that they're going to follow suit with the things you say if you don't actually live it out. Right. So two things came to mind when you were giving that um, giving that statement there. What what are those things? What are those responsibilities of a citizen? And maybe let's further define that. Let's hone that just a little bit. What are the responsibilities of a Christian citizen? Sure, that's huge. Yeah. The Christian part, right? You know, we maybe eat that elephant one bite at a time. I was going to say first. <laughs> my mind went straight to Romans thirteen, and we said we would not dialogue about that one right now. Uh I have images of George Washington kneeling in the snow mm. in the middle of, of war. And that image strikes me because when the chaos is going on, he's first and foremost seeking wisdom from somebody higher than himself. Mm. So before we can ever be a, a citizen of the United States, we first have to be, we should care about being a son and daughter of Christ. Because mm. again, that's that lens through which you see reality. Mm-hmm. Can't stare at the sun without sunglasses. You can't mm-hmm. be looking at the news head on and not having that filter of mm-hmm. Christian truth. Sure. And it's not just Christian, it, it is truth, right. capital T. Right. So once we're right, once we take our battles to our knees, from there we can stand and say, all right, I want to know what that dialogue is in the, in the government. What are the things that people wanna pass, mm-hmm. especially in our local communities? Yeah. Boy, if that's been one thing that we should have learned over this past year oh. is that local elections count. Yes, very much so. Yeah. With, and, with regard to some of the COVID restrictions that have happened, sometimes at a city level, township level, county level, state level, all those elections, I think people don't necessarily always pay attention. No, they don't. I, th- I hope that they do in the, in the future. I know that your students and my students are aware of that now, sure. that, every, that every election counts. To your point about, you know, taking a knee, I think sometimes it's easy for us to take a knee in our prayer closet, you know, in, a, in an area that we can control. I happened to be able to visit Valley Forge a couple of years ago. I was blown away by how massive that area is. Hmm. I haven't seen it. It It is huge. Huh. Like you... It just goes on and on and on. And I felt so small. And I'm like, I kept saying to myself, you know, of all the paintings, all the readings that I had done over the years, even as a young student, I was thinking, ah, you know, maybe like a cornfield. No (laughs) way. I mean, it is, it is so huge. And that's exactly what I went to when you said that you had visions of Washington taking a knee in the ginormity of that battlefield uh, or, you know, that, that, that location, I can just see him in the enormity of that, bowing a head, taking a knee, and making it personal between he and the creator God. Yes. 
And that's big. That is. That's big. And I think that takes discipline for us to do that. And I couldn't agree more with your point that we need to be doing that more. And that's that sounds so trite. It sounds so trite. I recently heard a podcast by Jackie Hill Perry. Are you familiar with her? Mm-hmm. Yes, she wrote a book called uh, uh, Gay Girl, Good God. Mm-hmm. And uh, she... I won't give you all of her testimony. You know it. But uh, she, I was a former lesbian, now married uh, to an awesome guy. They have two children. And so she's sought after for interviews, of course. And she tells a story of being interviewed in Sweden uh, by a reporter there. And the reporter asked her, what do you tell parents whose children are gay and what, what, what they should do? And Jackie didn't hesitate. She said, pray for them. And she said, the, the interviewer started laughing and she goes on to, you know, kind of talk a little bit about how this interviewer, just by virtue of that immediate reaction, gave all that she needed to know about what they really believed in the power of prayer. And, you know, I think that many people would say, well, of course we need to pray. Well, if of course we need to pray, then dadgummit, we need to be doing it. Because I'll tell you what, with the climate of our, of our country right now, I don't think there's enough of us that are doing it enough. Yes. This goes back to that boat water vision. Right. We say build the boat, then we'll go ride the waves, Mm. where I feel like it needs to be reversed. Let's ride the waves. Here's how we'll do it. The same thing with prayer. We say, go pray. Well, what am I doing when I pray? But if we can show them, you are partaking in the Trinity. Mm. When you're on your knees Mm. in the quiet of your own room, The Holy Spirit in you, Romans 8 tells us that when we know not what to pray, the Spirit does that for us. Mm -hmm. Speaking to God the Father through Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. you as the branch and the vine are a part of that trinity. Mm -hmm. You are partaking in the spiritual world. Yeah. And if we can bring that to life, then it's like, well, I want to go pray. Right. It's a conversation. It's a communication. So just since we've been back this new year in my class, we do uh, Michigan Mondays and Washington Wednesdays. I love that. And uh, so we pray for the state government. And at the beginning, and these, my students are pretty sensitive, uh, you know, about praying and stuff. And what I, I'm so proud of them because we've done this a few times over the course of this year. Uh, They're not, they're not, uh, they're not political with their prayers. Right. So, and it didn't take any prompting for me to kind of rein them in because they didn't need to be reined in. So it's been great because we've done this a few times now and they are praying much more sensitively, much more specifically. And it's, it's born out of practice now. Matter of fact, I, I wrote, we happened to pray the other day for Senator Tice, um, Representative Maddock, Matt Maddock and Governor Whitmer. And I wrote all three of them a letter and I said, hey, I just want you guys to know that you're being prayed for by students who are praying for your safety, they're praying for your integrity, and they're praying for your wisdom. And they're doing it without political rhetoric. Beautiful. And that's what those kids are doing. I'll never forget the first time that we did this. I had a student who shall remain nameless, but I'm so proud of them. And this is what they prayed. They prayed, Lord... Help us to see these people, not just as names on social media, but as people. I, I'm glad I didn't have to pray after the student because I was choking up. This is an 11th grade student. This is an 11th grader, not even 17 yet. They were 16, and they, and they were praying that. And I was like, man, you guys are starting to get it. 
Yes. You guys can be the influencers. Move way past us who get tripped up on, you know, rhetoric and I'm not going to agree with you because you don't look like me or I'm not going to agree with you because you don't vote the way that I do or, you know, insert any number of things that we do to separate ourselves now. But I think that you are so onto something there, Missy, with creating that vision of what things could be. We were just reminded at church on Sunday about how we need to be praying for revival for this country. And I think it needs to be a biblical revival. I think sometimes people's views of revival get, they get attached to a person. And for as good of a president and as many things as he has done, as many promises he has kept, President Trump is not our savior. That's right. And I don't think that he's ever said that he was, but I think a lot of people put him in that position unjustly. I mean, that's unfair to him, but I think if you have, and this is this can be dangerous, as we saw last Wednesday, if you have a passionate, uninformed group of people, then we see nonsense happen like what happened last week. But if we can continue to appropriately have input into our students to teach them what being a productive citizen looks like, hey, guys. You need to be praying for your leaders. You need to be praying for yourself. You need to pay your taxes. You need to get a dadgum job, (laughs) right? The taxes suck, but you know what? Everybody has to pay for them. You enjoy the freedom? That costs. You enjoy driving on the roads? That costs. You know, any number of things that that come out of our taxes. Your house is on fire, gets put out by the fire department? Guess what? That's not for free. You know, all those things come as a result of this country that we have. And okay, so people could make the they could make the case that you know taxes are whatever. That's not the that's not the thrust of what we're talking about today. What we're talking about is is showing some responsibility, and part of that responsibility is to not just be a citizen, but be a productive citizen. Man, that might even mean that some of our students, Miss C, get on the school board. That's right. Maybe some of them, you know, we're going to see their name on a letterhead because they're the city clerk or they're the prosecutor, or they're the mayor, you know? And these could be some of our students. And we could say, you know, 10, 12, 15 years from now, I had them as a student. Yeah, remember me when you're famous. They got a C in civics. Let's, you know, let's see how they do now with all of this stuff. But but that's that ride the waves. That's that vision that that we can help create in them. Do we do that enough? We could be doing it more. Mm. Every day I have to remind myself of that. When I get up on that podium where I'm standing in front of those kids, it's, dear God, whatever I say that's not of you, let them forget everything I said. Anything that is of you, mm. please don't let them forget it. Mm-hmm. It's not me doing the teaching. I mean, if it is, that's a problem. Mm. But if I can speak words that I know are truthful because they come from God above then I'm not afraid about what happens with these kids, where they go, even if they have very humble jobs, and it mm-hmm. isn't in the public sphere, mm-hmm. to be men and women with integrity, mm. who tell the truth, who do not lie, mm-hmm. who care about those that are hurting or struggling, mm-hmm. to see beyond their own little sphere of mm-hmm. influence, mm-hmm. beyond themselves. Mm-hmm. That's my only desire, mm. my, my greatest hope. 
we just finished a project in our contemporary societal issues class on uh, the whole broad topic of homosexuality and transgenderism. And the students had to do research on any number of things that I gave them. They had to come up with their perspective on it. They had to come up with um, either biblical support. Uh, well, not either. They had to come up with biblical, biblical support on whatever way that they were deciding to go. And then we, we talked about that. Um, a word that kept coming up, and I was so proud of them, but this could be a misapplied word as well and we're going to get into that later on in my class, but kindness. And I told them about the book that everything I need to learn uh, to be successful in life I learned in kindergarten or some variation of that. Uh, and it's so true. I just think sometimes we forget to be kind. Yes. And we forget to be patient. And we forget to love the unlovely. And these are things that were modeled for Christ. Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Acceptable Sins, and... We've made, we've made these things acceptable. They're not acceptable in the eyes of the Lord. They're acceptable in the eyes of us, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a struggle for us sometimes to, to do that. So uh, to illustrate what you're talking about, um, I, have some, I have some friends who are homosexual, and we don't get into confrontations. I'm ready for an answer, you know, when they ask me. But one of them the other day, I was finishing up work, and they said, you know, are you done for the night? I'm like, yeah. And this person said, oh. I go, why? He goes, I just want you to hang out with me for the rest of the night. He goes, because I just feel calm when you're around. And like that really humbled me. Mm. Uh, and I got to thinking, like, I wonder how many of us have that type of impact on people. And I, I'm not saying that I've perfected that. But when I'm intentional about it, 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 it definitely has payoffs. I've been telling my, my students, using the analogy of the hurricane, mm. everything's swirling and they all can tell you that the safest place to be in a hurricane is in the eye of the storm. Mm. And likewise, we are to be in this world, but not of it. If we're of it, we look like everybody, paranoid, freaking out, what's true, I don't know. But like your friend told you, there's something calming when you have a truth Mm. that you know you would die for. It gives you that security and that peace. Mm -hmm. That is what we are supposed to be in this world. Mm -hmm. So when the swirling chaos is happening as it is now, People don't know what to believe, what to say, what to do. Mm-hmm. They can look to God as manifested through human beings in our calm demeanor, our patience, our kindness. And we can only get to that place, I think, if we've received that from God. Mm-hmm. If I know how much I've been forgiven, mm-hmm. how much the Lord has shown me kindness and yes. grace. Mm-hmm. It's not easy all the time, but it's so much easier to extend that to somebody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that uh, we've covered a lot. Oh, we have. <laughs> so How? much more we could say. <laughs> I know. I wish people would be comfortable with four or five-hour podcasts. I know. I mean, we're not Joe Rogan, but uh, <clears throat> as we wrap up today, mm-hmm. can, you, can you wrap up for us in a nice, neat package as teachers, as educators, what do we owe to our students at LCS as they are graduating from here? And entering, now they're already in the culture, but they're entering the culture with, with kind of new terminology. They're a high school graduate. What do we owe them in preparation for that? Putting me on the spot here. I am, but putting, I have some I am putting you on the spot here. Do you have thoughts? I knew you would. <laughs> Always do. <laughs> I don't want to just feed content. Mm-hmm. I want to equip. Mm-hmm they will be 
It has been granted unto them, says Paul, not only to believe, but to be persecuted Mm -hmm. for your faith. And that will look, that will take many different forms. But knowing that in my head, that, well, the prereq to that is that the students have something for which they'll be persecuted. Sure. And that would be a faith that the world hates. Sure. And those who are afraid of truth will seek to silence debate. Mm -hmm. They'll be shut up as we're seeing right now. Mm-hmm. The worst thing I could do is just toss the kids out of the school and go, good luck. Hope you can make it. Right. I would rather give them that helmet, that mm-hmm. shield, that sword. And those take the form of knowledge of protecting your heart. But you don't have to just be on the defense. You can be on the offense. Absolutely. Go back with that sword of truth, the only lens through which you can view this world and make any sense of it. If I can help equip them in just some small way to do that, then maybe they will actively take part in the things that are happening, Mm -hmm. be able to be that calming influence Mm -hmm. in a chaotic world. Mm -hmm. I think the most important thing for a teacher in this school is to help equip. Mm. (laughs) I think some of the things that we hate the most as teachers are personal development days or professional (laughs) development days. Um, And, and, uh, most likely because they're not always necessarily relevant, you know, for us. We may get, you know, something out of it every now and then. So at the beginning of the school year, we happen to be in one of those uh, professional development things that we may or may not have gotten, you know, some good stuff out of. And uh, the the conversation turned to curriculum. And a young teacher here, uh, just offhandedly, and I wrote it down because it left such an impact on me, offhandedly said, uh, I'm here. I'm here to impact students, not to get through curriculum. <laughs> and I was like, "Whoa, that is so good!" Yes. So I wrote that down, yeah. and I I brought it to that person the next day, and I was like, "Hey, this was amazing." And the person didn't even realize that they had necessarily said it. But to your point, and this is another way of saying it: like we we want to teach them to fish, not just give them the fish, right? Right? Because one is for a short time and the other is for a lifetime. And to your point of referencing the armor of God, of course, that comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, going into 18. But verses 18 and 19, we often, we, we, we forget. And I love that you said that we can be offensive too, not just defensive. Because in verse 18 and 19, Paul prays that we would have the words to say. I mean, so often, Missy, just over this past summer into our where we're at here on the 13th of January, 2021, if there is one thing that I could tell my students, you could tell your students, is that words matter. I mean, the vote that was supposed to happen at 3.30 today on impeachment are over two words out of President Trump's speech that were taken out of context and that they say incited people to riot. Two words. Incredible. Words matter matter. Yes, they do. And that's, and Paul, who was brilliant, I mean, it, he arguably, besides Jesus Christ himself, had the most impact on Christendom. I mean, that could be argued, right? So he had the equivalent probably of two PhDs, as far as knowledge goes. And this guy is asking for the church at, at Ephesus to pray for him yes. so that he can have the words? What? <laughs> I mean, if Paul is asking for that, you better believe that I'm going to ask for that. But that's for the purpose of being offensive. And, you know, it's not, it's not too many people want to put a spin on that word offensive. And they want to make it militant. And we don't have to be militant about it. We have to be confident about it. That's right. 
And I think another word that gets taken out of context and misconstrued all the time as well is confrontation. Confrontation can be so healthy. Confrontation could be a sign of love. Being offensive, i.e. not being defensive, that, that can also be a sign of love. And if we walk that back, what is it? That could be kindness. That's right. And it shows, it manifests itself that way if it's born out of humility. Just as mm. you said, Paul is humble enough with all of his knowledge and wisdom <sighs> to be able to say, I don't know it all. I need to be able to say the right thing. Only yeah. the Lord can tell me what that is. Well, and not only that, I mean, you know, you want to talk about Paul coming to the, the full fruition of his faith, mm. you know, at the end of his life, how did he describe himself? The chief of all sinners. I'm the biggest knucklehead. And that was at the end of his ministry, not at the beginning of his ministry. That's right. So to your, to your point about humility, I think that, that we can always learn that. We can always, always learn that. Miss C, this has been a good time. Yes, it has. Uh, as you said, we could talk for a long time about this. Uh, our next episode, we're actually going to be interviewing some former graduates, and I think we're going to have some opportunity to talk about some of these things and how they felt equipped uh, from Livingston Christian to go on to be these productive citizens. Hopefully, we haven't talked to them yet. We'll see. <laughs> we'll right. see how Livingston Christian has done. I'm excited uh, to equip them for that. But uh, we want to thank everybody for giving us the time that they have today, and we look forward to being with you next time on the Falcon Fast Lane. That's right. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.